Welcome to In a Perfect Policy, hosted by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Catalyst for Science Policy, or CASP. At CASP, we work to advocate for science-based policy, engage lawmakers in their policymaking process, and promote science outreach within the community. My name is Emily, your host for this episode. Today, we're going to hear an interview from a group of individuals associated with Wisconsin Advocates for Public Health about a memo they published in the Journal of Science Policy and Governance delineating the need for a health in all policies approach for UW-Madison. Wisconsin Advocates for Public Health is a grassroots organization who collaborates with community organizations to advocate for public health policy and system changes. In this interview, they detail what health in all policies means and how its application would help the campus. They also discuss how such an approach to policymaking could be implemented and, in the memo itself, elaborate on their pros and cons. First, I don't know if you guys want to do a really quick introduction of yourself and like a really quick summary of uh, the memo you guys drew up. Uh, yeah, I'll start. Uh, my name is Chris Unterberger. I am in the pharmaceutical sciences division in the School of Pharmacy here at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I met these two um, tangentially through CASP and WAPH, which I think they can tell you more about. Yeah, I can. I can go. Hi, everyone. My name is Nova Tebby. I am a dual degree uh, master's in public health and master's in public affairs student here at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I'm also a member of the Wisconsin Advocates for Public Health, which I will leave to Amina to talk about, but it's a great organization and happy to be a part of it. Hi, um, and my name is Amina Mamori. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a first year medical student here at the UW. And I had just recently finished up uh, most of the classes for my master's of public health, which is where I met Nova. Um, and through that program, uh, that's where we really got started with creating this organization called Wisconsin Advocates for Public Health which is a grassroots organization based right here in Madison uh, that collaborates with organizations to advocate for policy and systems changes that improve public health and equity. And so um, through that work, that's as Chris mentioned, uh, where we got connected with CASP and we're just really excited to be here speaking with you all today a little bit further about our policy memo that we put together uh, last summer. Okay, uh, do you wanna give me like a really quick summary of the memo? Yeah, so um, basically with this memo, um, we are recommending that the University of Wisconsin-Madison embraces a health in all policies approach within their decision-making processes. And so we um, specifically recommend the use of like comprehensive and rapid health impact assessments as part of that strategy. Um, and believe that the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Educational Achievement would be a great place to uh, begin utilizing those sort of assessments and start to work across areas of campus to make sure that health and equity is at the forefront of all of university decisions from here on out. 
All right. Yeah, that that sounds great. Um, how did you guys get interested in the topic? And was there like a singular thing that prompted you to actually write the memo? Or was it just an idea that you guys had? Uh, I can uh, I can say that, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has really affected all of us, you know, uh, it's kind of upended our whole society. And I think that is definitely one reason that prompted us to write this memo is we saw, um, you know, within the framework of, of health and all policies, wow, this pandemic is just really showing how health is intertwined in all aspects of society. So whether it's housing or, uh, you know, where you work, your job, or how you get food. I mean, health is literally everywhere. And uh, I think that's that's one thing looking at the COVID pandemic. You know, it's not just about the infectious disease part of it, uh, which is a very important part of it, uh, but it's also how it affected other parts of society. And so that's definitely one, one reason that, that prompted us for this memo. But we also thought, wow, there really isn't that much going on in the sense of uh, awareness of health and all policies despite this pandemic. And so uh, we felt obliged not only to write this memo for our university to, to have better decision-making processes, but hopefully to, to make others aware of what health and all policies is. Yeah, okay, so it is pretty obvious that um, health is everywhere. Do you, or do any of you have any insight as to why UW-Madison hasn't yet fully embraced that sort of approach. I mean, it seems like a pretty progressive school, all things considered. Um, I don't know, is it a politics thing? Is it because it's like a relatively new um, approach to, I guess, uh, policy? Do you have any insight? Yeah, so historically, uh, the health and all policies approach has uh, mostly been implemented within government. And so it's kind of a novel idea to be talking about it and uh, having it be led by some sort of institution or organization um, or so forth that isn't a governmental um, institution. And so I think that might be part of the reason that this hasn't necessarily been talked about in the past um, at the University of Wisconsin. But at the same time, I think that we can see some of the tenets of health and all policies shining through in certain decisions that the university has made in the past. Um, I think one key example of that is how all students at UW have a bus pass that they can access and they can hop on to um, transportation to get around all of the Madison area. And that specific policy, you know, really takes partnerships with local government. It takes um, partner both like on a financial realm as well as like just relationships and so forth. It you know all keeps student health at the forefront by increasing access to transportation and reducing um, emissions for local transit. So there's lots of health benefits to that sort of policy, and again, it just shows like the ways that folks can work together across um, sectors, even at a university. As I said, it just hasn't really been applied uh, within the sector in the past, um, but I think we've seen in the past also some uh, 
key examples of ways that it could be more formalized and continued to um, be implemented into the future. Um, I, 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 one, one other thing is um, from a logistical perspective too, the university is very large and coordinating across all the different aspects of the university. There's the undergraduate level, there's the graduate level, there's the many faculty that work on campus, there's many administrative and uh, non-faculty staff that work on campus. Coordinating across all those different perspectives of the university is very difficult. And that's something we get to in the policy memo is the vast differences of vice chancellor's offices, for example, uh, within the university. Um, coordinating across all of those is gonna be a logistical challenge and without presenting policy options to the university, I very much doubt that they'll take this up on their own. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Cause you also mentioned in the memo about Appleton. And I was curious if they were just because they were a smaller city, they were able to actually officially um, pass anything related to that approach. Um, so yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so pivoting to things you discuss in the memo itself. Um, are there other policy options you guys considered, but then decided against proposing? Um, and were there like reasons why some of these were set aside over the ones that you guys had chosen? Uh, there was there were some policy considerations that we listed within the memo that we just didn't get to in terms of uh, we didn't want to offer you know, 17 different policy options. We narrowed it down to just a few. Uh, one consideration that we didn't take into account that is important is the idea of considering stakeholders that are largely mis and underrepresented in these types of decision-making uh, processes. So any health and all policies um, approach in the future through the university should consider those stakeholders. And the policy options that we didn't include here would largely center around the inclusion of all stakeholders within these decision-making processes. Um, another aspect that we didn't include here is we largely focused on health impact assessments, but as Amita Nova can tell you, there are a number of different tools within the health and all policies framework that we could have considered in our policy options. And I don't know if y'all wanna give a couple of examples of those. Yeah. So. Um... I think it's important to, I guess, step back and recognize that um, health and all policies is this collaborative approach to um, improving health. And as I said before, it's really centered on making sure that health and equity considerations are central to decision-making processes. And so having some sort of assessment right, is one way and one tool that we can use in our toolbox in order to try to make sure and check ourselves that whenever we're making a, a decision or considering a future policy, that we are looking at these very specific line items, for example, that you know we've all um, come to consensus on as important in promoting health. Um, and at the same time, part of those assessments is also like looking at the current status of health and making sure that um, any action moving forward builds and helps to progress um, positively beyond what the current status is. So beyond just those like simple tools, um, you know, I think a, one of the key elements of this approach is 
building partnerships and relationships. Um, because as Chris mentioned earlier, you know, when you're in this really complex institution with lots of different people and lots of uh, who have lots of different roles, it can get to be really difficult to see um, where you land um, and, and how your work connects to health. And so I think just having um, these like formalized structures um, these health and all policies committees, as you may be, is like one really great way to begin to uh, bridge some of those relationships and solidify them, but also like help um, people understand their role and ability to um, advance health and how that creates really many mutual benefits that, um, as we saw in the pandemic, for example, like folks can't go to work and do the things that they need to do. Um, and that really took a toll on our um, on many different industries. And so if we can just recognize that, like, if we keep health at the forefront, make sure that, you know, people have their paid sick days, people um, and, and are able to take off when they aren't feeling well, you know, that overall, that's going to be beneficial um, for, for that said company. So again, it's just like really helping um, to create those relationships, to help people see the importance of health and how it's just tied to every part of society is um, another uh, important function uh, of this approach. Yeah, and I guess just to build off of that too, it's it can be used for policy analysis too, um, right? Because this is a framework. So it's, it's a bunch of different things like Amina was talking about. But, you know, just to give you an example, because um, I work a lot in, in uh, climate change policies. And, you know, if we were to look at what policies could we do to lower emissions, for example, and if we if we use transportation as as a sector, right, a lot of people are talking about electric cars. Let's just get everybody to drive electric cars, then we'll reduce our emissions from cars, right? But if you look at it through like, this health and all policies lens. Now, electric vehicles, they do reduce emissions. So in that sense, you'll have a health benefit. But what you're not doing is you're not taking cars off the road, you're not improving pedestrian safety, and you're still building roads uh, where the foundation is cars and not walking or biking or public transit. So then you start to think, okay, well, what's another policy we could do by using these other health, uh, health knowledge? And that would be, you know, maybe we expand public transit. Maybe we electrify public transit. How many more people will that help? How will that improve equity? And, you know, you'll get more cars off the road and maybe you'll have better urban planning because it's more of a community effort instead of an individualized one. And so I think that's like a great example to show, wow, so health and all policies is not only a framework you can put into policy analysis to see which one would be better, but it's also about, all right, how do we take this and actually implement it and put it into action as Amina described uh, further. So this is such an important framework and uh, that's why I'm so glad that we're here to really explain what it is and how it can be used. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, okay, so when thinking about then how it could influence um, policy in other places. You talk about two different types of assessments, the comprehensive versus the rapid. I feel like it 
it makes sense to do rapid assessments in the case or in the sense that it, it might be cost effective, it might save time, it might save some money, at least in the short term. Um, but do you see a benefit of doing a rapid assessment every couple of years versus doing one large comprehensive assessment that'll last maybe 20 plus years? Um, I guess either financially or um, time-wise. Yeah, I, I think I'll let Chris get into the pros and cons of um, using comprehensive versus rapid. Um, I think in we lay out one possible option in our memo, um, but I think in an ideal scenario um, where this is like fully accepted within an institution um, and there are like some dollars to back it, recognizing that, you know, resources are, are not unlimited. Um, I think the ideal usage of, of these sort of assessments is, yes, having those comprehensive uh, health impact assessments. That's really where you have that extensive backing of literature. You do um, in-depth interviews and surveys. Um, and there's really that like central piece of collaboration that I talked about earlier um, that exists in this long process that can take like nearly up to six months. Um, whereas alternatively, there's those rapid uh, assessments, which is more of that like checklist, making sure that you're meeting the criteria if you are um, proposing a certain decision, um, just to double check to make sure that you, whatever that decision is, um, may not, would not have some sort of very negative um, health or equity impacts. So I think using both simultaneously is really important because you wanna have that comprehensive, very holistic view of where you are and that'll help with more of that like proactive policy making so that you can start to do things that would um, advance and help health, but you also still need those like check mark, those check uh, lists and that's really what that like rapid assessment uh, kind of stands for. And so uh, that I think is something that should be implemented nearly each time um, folks are going up and voting on something, there should, there should be some sort of rapid uh, in health impact assessment um, for that proposed policy. Um, and so whether, I, I'm not sure what frequency that happens at, at our institution, uh, but I do think, you know, that should be part of the general flow of things. Yeah, like Amina mentioned there, I think the only, or the major differentiating factor between the two assessment styles is the demand on time and potentially money. Rapid HIAs, I can anticipate being a, tool used in proactive policymaking. So proposal of a policy idea, rapid HIA to assess its impact downstream, and then implementation or modification of the policy. Whereas those comprehensive HIAs can be made on a broader spectrum across an entire vice chancellor's office, for example, or even the university and understand how health and equity are being considered across a wider organizational structure whereas rapid HIAs can be used within an, even an individual office or even an individual lab, for example, as a scientist, I think of that type of thing. So uh, 
not that I have implemented rapid HIAs in my own lab uh, structure, but it's definitely something that I can see on even a, a departmental or lower level as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense, especially given the complexity of the various different departments within departments within departments at the university. Um, Okay, so then can you can you guys expand on why you recommended option two as sort of your your proposed policy option? There are three policy options that we recommended or proposed in this policy memo. The first option being the coordination of annual comprehensive HIAs across vice chancellor office vice chancellor's offices and require the use of rapid HIAs within each vice chancellor's offices and across university committees underneath those offices. That one, uh, like we just mentioned, would be a little bit more time and money consuming just from the nature of comprehensive HIAs. The second policy option, which we recommended, was more so establishing a university wide committee to do that high app or health and all policy compliance across those different university offices. In this policy option, we actually de delegate that HIAP compliance and training and oversight to a specific university committee within the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Educational Achievement. And I'll get into why we decided on that uh, committee in a, in a second here. But doing this would avoid some of the costly measures and maybe potentially non-compliance of health and all policies with some of those other vice chancellor's offices. And then the last policy option, which is a traditional no action policy option, is take no action in implementing health and all policies at UW-Madison, basically status quo. The disadvantages are you're avoiding addressing the inequities in health of uh, students, faculty, administrative staff across campus that uh, is so desperately needed as we elaborate throughout the rest of the memo. But that second policy option is, like I said, the one that we suggested the recommended or we recommended in implementation. The major proponent of which is the establishment of this new committee within that division of uh, division of diversity, equity, and educational achievement (DDEA). Uh, we chose that committee specifically because we believe that they have the compliance and training mechanisms in place already to further include health and all policies as a tool for them to do their job, as well as introducing health and all policies to the university. Um, so the idea there is that this DDEEA committee and division would concurrently delegate high up training and oversight to all these different vice chancellor's offices across the university that, like I mentioned previously, are very diverse and very full of bureaucratic uh, obstacles already. So and our hopes is that this new committee that we establish within the, diverse, the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Educational Achievement would be able to offer the training to these different vice chancellor's offices while ensuring that they actually follow these health and all policies procedures that we put in place. Um, okay, so then within that, you also mention um, the MATCH program. Do you want to elaborate on what that is a little bit? 
Um, when was that started? And I guess, uh, what is it and how can it um, be used for this health and all policies approach? Yeah, so MATCH, it stands for Mobilizing Action Towards Community Health. And they are a program that falls underneath the Population Health Institute here at UW-Madison. I'm not exactly quite sure on when they started up, um, but what I do know is that they exist um, to help support uh, change efforts that help to shift power um, and address root causes of health and equity. And so they do that really by supporting capacity building and providing by providing trainings. They also are engaged in research and development and support a lot of like data to action um, sort of research initiatives. And then they also help with aligning uh, folks across the state by having convenient convenings and growing different alliances for shared action. And so they are uh, a really great like general support uh, for, for our state and for different partners that are trying to advance health inequity. And one of the projects that they had helped work on in the past was related to health and all policies um, in partnership with uh, both with the Wisconsin Public Health Association, as well as um, a partnership with that legacy um, community alliance for health. And so the two different things that they were working on um, and continue to work on from, from what I understand is with Wisconsin Public Health Association, um, they initially had a, a section that was devoted to um, health and all policies and health impact assessments. And so that just goes to show like the history of the who has been in the space and working on health and all policies in the past and how it's very much been focused on folks who are either in government or and specifically who are working within the public health sector. Um, though, and of course that uh, is what we're here to discuss and hoping to expand um, beyond those specific contexts. Um, and so match the other, um, way that they have supported communities is in advancing health and all policies is, as I said, in collaboration with the Legacy Community Alliance for Health. And so that group had received a million dollars from the Wisconsin Partnership Program um, to improve health and health equity across Wisconsin by implementing health and all policies into local policy making. And so Back in about, um, I, I want to say 2017 or so, um, they were successful. That collaboration was successful in helping uh, the city of Appleton to become the first city in Wisconsin to formally pass that health and all policies ordinance. So it's just really amazing um, that, you know, when people are talking about this, when they're working together, when there's capacity behind it, um, how much like segue um, that we can make into uh, making sure that health and equity are centered in the decisions in our state. I'm just curious to see um, what you guys think about uh, UW-Madison and their uh, measures they've taken to um, be equitable. So it's 
one thing to acknowledge that there are underrepresented groups. Um, and there's another thing to actually, it's another thing to actually listen to them. Um, do you guys have any insight as to if, if this um, health and all policies approach is taken at UW-Madison, the underrepresented groups are actually heard? Well, first I'd say that uh, it should really be called health and equity in all policies because equity is just so centered in health. And so I'd say if it's done right, yes. But of course, it's the, it's the difference between theory and implementation that can become problematic. But I think one of the biggest things uh, to take away from, from what we're saying here, and Amina said it so greatly, health now policies is really about building partnerships. And if you're not building partnerships with communities who have been misrepresented in the past or underrepresented, then you're not really doing health now policies and you're not really doing uh, you know, a holistic health impact assessment as well. So I'd like to think that the university, if they, um, if they take our recommendation, um, that they do it right and they make sure that they include those voices, but not only you know, give them a quote unquote seat at the table, but also ensure that you know, that space is comfortable enough for them to speak their opinions and they're not you know, quieted um, and they have power in those situations as well. Because I think too many times we say, we just need a seat at the table, but really what you need is a seat at the table and a microphone as well to have that, that power and, and shift that dynamic. So, you know, I think, again, if equity is not centered within health and all policies, then it's not health and all policies. Um, and that's something to really take away from at least our memo and from doing any future uh, work in this sphere. Another consideration that has to be made with the implementation of health and all policies at any level is that it's only a framework for making policies. It doesn't actually have, um, it only has as much teeth as you give it, as the university, for example, in this case, gives it. Uh, in order for it to be useful at all, it's dependent on how much each vice chancellor's office or committee underneath that is compliant with the reviews of using health impact assessments, for example. If there's no compliance within, within the university or if there's varying compliance between different vice chancellor's offices, it kind of loses its effect by uh, engaging stakeholders at any level. Um, okay, so then do you guys have any plans of action after this memo? Do you have additional memos you plan on writing or? Or other ideas? I just want to speak to a campaign that we kicked off through Wisconsin Advocates for Public Health around health and all policies, because I think this piece really greatly fits into this uh, general message that we want to get out to our partners, folks in the general public, um, that health and all policies can be applied to other contexts beyond government and beyond the sector of public health, that really these institutions like UW-Madison, um, as well as other sort of uh, in institutions, businesses, organizations, et cetera, can really take on this approach. And so we are going to be 
and are in the process of launching this health and all policies campaign. Um, it's educational. And so it's just trying to get the message about what we mean by health and all policies, how um, health is very intricately tied to all of these other sectors that we've talked about so far today, um, as well as others. And to, again, get get that message across that uh, it can be applied to a broad range of settings and, and should be applied to a broad range of settings. So this is, I think, just one piece and uh, a bunch of subsequent efforts um, uh, broadly to, to try to expand people's imagination around this topic. And um, hopefully, you know, there'll, there'll also be um, more than concrete actions here within the university as well before we all graduate and, and leave our time here. I know we're all getting towards the end. Uh, I'd also like to make a plug for another topic that was mentioned in this interview, which is paid sick leave. And that's a good example of uh, looking at health and all policies. Uh, I believe In a Perfect Policy has an episode on paid sick leave, episode 10, if I remember correctly. So I encourage listeners to listen to that one as well. For the sake of time, we can wrap things up, but I have um, one question, and that is if you have any final thoughts on the issue or any, um, I guess, key issues that you want to bring up. I will start it off here. I know we have so many thoughts, um, but one thing, you know, looking at this memo, I think we also need to think about uh, policy options that are more system level changes, which is, you know, also a tenant of health and all policies. And with this memo, we really wanted it to be concrete action that we can ask that we can evaluate and be like, did you do this or did you not do this type thing? Um, but it's also very important to see, all right, well, what's really the root of the problem? Is the root of the problem not having a committee or is the root of the problem that health is just not even considered in anything? And I think looking at the root and then you know, doing its own health impact assessment, uh, maybe we can figure out what really needs to change here uh, and how can we make that system level change. But again, I think this memo is a first step in a long line of steps and hopefully we can, you know, create a healthy and equitable uh, society in general, but also here in Madison at, and at UW campus. And I alluded to my qualms with the uh, disadvantages of health impact dis or health and all policies in these types of situations as well. It's only as strong as you make it uh, within a system and organization. And uh, UW Madison, as with any organization, say that they want to make these changes and say that they want to include stakeholders and say that they want to be more equitable. But it it's only talk until you actually do something. And I think health and all policies is a good way to make a concrete move towards doing just that. Okay, then I guess a final question. If you had to create one, what is your perfect policy? That is a good topical question. Uh, I think at least my version of a perfect policy would be one, and I'm not gonna be too specific here, but I'm, you've heard me say it over and over during this interview, but one with teeth, uh, one in which 
uh, non-compliance with health and all policies at a university level results in some kind of discipline to incentivize committees and vice chancellor's offices across the university to actually comply with their health impact assessment requirements and, and which would downstream have effects on the health and equity of stakeholders on campus. Yeah, I, I think that's a really tough question because as uh, you both have alluded to in different ways, it's really important that the, the folks who are gonna be impacted by any sort of policy change are part of and central to um, the process of deciding what the policy is um, that needs to be implemented, but also part of on the back end of like implementing it and continuing to be um, part of the change solutions. And so in my mind, the perfect policy is, is the one that we all can co-develop together and are all part of and in, engaged in creating that policy solution. So it's just hard for me to articulate what that is as just one single person here on this call. Um, but I think the outcome of it needs to be um, something that we are all part of and have a stake in together. Yeah, it's a great question. And if I had a great answer, I should just run for office and say, I have the perfect policy, everyone. Um, but, you know, I think I totally agree with Amina. I totally agree with Chris. And the only thing I would add is the perfect policy uh, is flexible and is not static and can change when new research changes and new evidence comes. Uh, but it's also in the same way has a good foundation. So, you know, funding is a huge thing that can, uh, you can either get a lot of it, or you can get not enough of it. And so I think that's also an important uh, part of the perfect policy as well. Well, um, I think that is it. Thank you guys for your time. And I look forward to seeing anything that comes out of this. Thanks for tuning into In a Perfect Policy with UW-Madison's Catalyst for Science Policy. For more episodes, please check out CASP dot whisk dot edu slash podcasts and subscribe rate and review in a perfect policy wherever you get your podcasts this episode was produced by myself emily tran and maya gubnett thank you to amina mamori nova tebby and chris unterberger for answering our questions today and making this interview possible